Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. Today, of course, um, we have Katie Ford. We're delighted to have her here. Uh, we were hoping to have her in conversation with David St. John, but a situation beyond his control prevented him from being here today. Um, but uh, we want to celebrate Katie Ford's fourth book of poetry, If You Have to Go. Uh, she has been named Best Book of the Year by Publishers Weekly. She's been a finalist for the LA Times Book Prize. She has a Master's in Divinity from Harvard, an MFA from Iowa. She's published in all the best places, The New Yorker, The Paris Review, lots of others as well. But uh, the one piece I most strongly recommend online was um, writing about the city in West Branch, um, but you can find it online. It is just beautiful and so accessible and right there uh, at your fingertips. This book has gotten incredibly well-reviewed, though. If You Have to Go has been called distinct, powerful, evolved, careful, stronger, deeper, complex, riveting, anchored, dramatic, recursive, impassioned, and robust. Let us please give her a warm round of applause. Thanks. I like robust the best. Hi, everybody. Um, so before I start on my poems, I thought I would read a poem of David St. John's um, called Before Dawn, and it's uh, one of his really recent poems. It was just published this spring, and uh, not yet even in a book. It was um, from Poets.org, their Poem A Day series. So it's called Before Dawn. You ask me again this evening, at what price does wisdom finally come in any life or at any age? And now I think I know the answer. Swear to me that when I tell you it is only everything you believe. You will travel as far from this city as you can before the streets grow smeared and lost to the smug and promiscuous coming of the day. Um, so I'm going to start at the very beginning, as it said, and in part because this book is written in sequence, so it's, um, uh, there's nowhere else to begin. and. Um, only the very first thing I'll read is not a sonnet until the end of the reading. And I'll read for a bit and then um, take questions and then I'll end on a poem or two after a bit together. I'm going to move this. Can this be moved? Or, you know what, I just feel like I have to be closer to this so you can move. Yeah, yeah, okay. I just think I'm leaning in a little bit. Okay, thanks. Okay. In the hearth. Of life's abundant confusions, this does not partake. My body gripped stiff at length by a smith I cannot see. Alone, not alone, my faceless smith. If I could speak from the forge, I'd want to beg you not to stop 
not to feel the guilt of your injurious labor. I know my labor, and whatever shape my body now is bent to, it returns me to that labor. I don't think when I return I will have a story. Three things I shall say. I knew I was not entirely alone. When I could speak again, it was from a bath of cool water. But first, I was kept a long time in a flame. The sonnets are um, caught in a sequence called the addresses. So I'm going to start them and not talk in between them. Um, but I will skip, I'll be skipping a bit. Uh, and they're a very uh, old form of sonnet making called a corona or crown in which you take the last line of the first sonnet and make it the first line of the next. And you keep doing that. Um, uh, traditionally 14 times until you make a crown of 14 but in this book I just kept going so there's 39 but you won't be hearing 39 sonnets um, I promise so I'm not gonna say the number of the sonnet though I'll just keep going the addresses empty with me though here I am I saw some soul set my meal with dream, then leave a gift for me, a ten-tooth comb to wake what's dead from me until the comb's carved medieval scene, where Ben two horses, water-consoled, adds to me the hope of that number. My own combs a lime-shined prairie with the grass of plastic acres. My carver never was, or must have roamed. All I ever wanted was the communal table. So I do love the steady hand that carved this other comb, the fence of the kingdom if turned tooth side down. The kingdom does come. For me, this is how. So tiny is the kingdom come, I must weigh and work the taxed fractions of how my soul's paltry income might be counted in. Love isn't mathematics? Oh yes it is. Do you think it's a cold thing to say? And what do I know of math? I know more than I've said. I know nearly everything there is. I can add and divide and feel the abstraction subtracted. That's as critically far as any math goes. My one hand tracing two horses is a relief geometry I can feel. Look at them. No auction block and not alone. Not bit yanked to the barrel where drums the beast scared heart. I bid all on my comb horses of which I'm not a part. I bid on two, not up for tenure, not tenure, gosh, I bid, that's the worst mistake I've ever made. I have tenure. <laughs> okay. I bid on two, not up, up for tender, at the kingdom's comb fence. Your Andalusians, I think, 
I'd hurt, it hurt too much to give you names. Your eyes are soft to me of new ch no choices, even as you bend to feed. So many foods to eat, and one is of affliction. I'll know more by its end or grow so scarce of myself. It won't matter what bread did or couldn't descend. I'd rather starve than eat alone the bread of heaven. So it's true, the kingdom knows me. Yeah, let me see these horses. There's no proof, just so much given. Animals that thirst, a river near horses. One looks up, the other drinks down. Beneath a red line goes the day, sundown. I'm red with the hurt of sundown. It makes me want to pull the comb through my hair. I hear the horses quiet at the river handle. They've grown uneasy, shy. They're scared. What creature could know what to say when asked, can I drag you through me just to feel? The poor horses can't recoil, whinny or move task to task. The question terrifies. I suppose it's real. Still, can I, may I, drag you through me, little comb, boxwood, fine-grained, ancient tool? Can't I be allowed to need you too? Your history prescribes you a lasting need. My history is all alone, and alone, I know, is all. I pick up the comb. I pick up the comb, but don't know where to start. A lonely life goes lonely everywhere, even where I plate my part. I suppose there's no reason not to start at the scars, surgical, homemade, all of it goes under the rake. My skin's no stony table. The kingdom's not come here before. My hand grips a mane, I think, a flanks a custom cold. Is this a shank, a mouth, some teeth gone rank? I thought I'd feel something beside me to comb out the fright. I suppose I was right. Fright came true and turns on a crank. I took the crank because fright, you're mine, so dig from crown to belly. But a tooth caught a link of necklace. A locket, of course. This is true use to keep one sweet thing around the neck, pre-forged and metal strong. The comb drags my Eden sore mine until even the god of it goes. Why is it? The kingdom yesterday sat near and now asks excuse from my table. I know my brand of human. The kingdom only seems, and even that is rare. I define rare like this. It comes, then it goes, then it never was. It comes, then it goes, then it never was. I didn't think the kingdom was supposed to be like that. Theologies lay and stretch me on the rack. I didn't think love should feel like that. I could only live through a glass, darkly, 
Ask, it shall be given, I can't even try. Half ago my life I lifted up to the mountains. On a swim dock I sat dry as dry while in the water rose a ragged catfish, its mouth an open glass. Glassy water into glass-made mouth. None of my shape opens to none that would pass as ghost of a ghost of a right-hungry mouth. Love lays me on the rack. My desire's all gone wrong. It's starved and strong. I think the tradition so stupid and wrong of mourners for hire, keeners who slap tambourines just to stuff a sad scene. The more crammed the number, the more I see that single girl right over there look over the grave of her own what never will be. She's not even come close. It's all a big fat miss. She sits vigil there. I guess that's what I'd call this. Why ever purchase more of herself, self after self, to rip out her hair? A crowd thrashing its ribs over a grave's dank must. I think grief's worse struck against a single chest. I'll wretch now over my ground. Luckily nobody, not anybody's around. Luckily nobody's around to hear me send my sick into the ground. This is how I pray to the saint of impossible cause. I don't call her name. My body does it all. Not a thing do I make up. There wasn't any honey water. There wasn't any priest. Believe in this. A shaking body. An indiscernible breeze. All day, day says, the kingdom doesn't care. It's just not there. Or it leaves us so long, I'll have to forget the horses of the comb. Forget they ever ran through my hair. Look at me. Looking at me. Look at carved things I wish I could be. I wish I could leave me. I can't even know if the horses are for me or against me, of me or in me, beside or despite me. Are they gods or mangy beasts? Were they bought by some empty patron, buying life straight into me? I once said they were looking at me, but that may have been the sorry glance of a shun. We love to read into animals, but they might not want anyone. They might not want anyone. Then where's gone my kingdom? All goes to gone. God of my childhood with your attendant monstrosities, have a little warmth on me, bent and frozen. Hastily now and again it seems you can hear even the farmyard rats gnaw at cobs and whatever fresh deads around. Though it's confusing to see the golden seaport alongside all that. Well, such is the human eye that doesn't get to choose unless it trains, and I wasn't given the gift of exercise. I will not say you've given me a terrified silence, nor absence, nor presence, nor the sun red and down, whose going you can't protect. Let me 
dusky godsend, never believe you protect. I believe that you destroy, I can't that you protect. What I mean is this, each day I receive and by moon night shines to erase. It gets dark in this world, how can I save what's erased by day? Body, the good, is porous, all comes along. I'd like even to say the body is for us. I downed once the sight of a man who swam out and in at the beach, then read between swims on the sand, clearly in repair from what was required of him. Fine night, erase, but I'm still made by the sight of those swims. By the sight of those swims, I'll be bound by this contract, even if it's my sole eyes that sign. I've done worse, and it's true. All on earth does fall through all. It's the through that's prolonged. It's the through that spills. Oh, snow, past my window now. Show me, dear snow, how to make such symmetry. How to lock, lock to lock. So I feel the inside steady, enough to believe. Love might stay right here right here. Don't go. Just as I've read it could be. Dead voices come from my bedside table now. You're the particulate matter of me. I'm warm. Can't I grasp? It would be life. Oh, I see. It's your turn to sleep your words in me, and life has bodies here. One's right over there. I saw too, the swimmer said to me, a mama whale offshore, her calf in need against her. It gave me perspective. But it didn't. No, it didn't, I said. The beautiful, alive, doesn't grant perspective. It grants desire. to skip a little bit and have a drink of water for a second here. <clears throat> Alright, um, I'm going to skip to Sonnet 21 if, you have, if you're looking at the book. Lots of things happens, then she goes into her room. Okay, <laughs> that's the plot. <laughs> my room is small, but not too small. My room is green, green succulents and sea. The green of a peony so red, it pinkens the comey light string I hang now in my room. Not cavernous and no space to fear. My room, no dank closet where someone may have died or buckled carefully her shoes, then died. I make my bed every morning. I don't know where to start, so I start with the bed. Then I fall to my knees against it, without knowing what I'm falling to. No mind makes it do it. My body just falls. 
my body falls into just one thought. Nothing's outside my door anymore. Maybe a roach. The one I begged for is gone. Welcome to my plot. It just happened. But I wanted to say one more thing. I wanted. I had one more way. I had the thought of a thought that make you stay. It listened to me. It did just what I said. Comes now into my chest a dearth. Feels like a grave in there. I suppose I owe a trentle now, thirty requiems. And anyway, well, welcome to my plot. Sing without. That I can sing. You without me, you without me. Three little Christmas bells chime for a coin outside the shop inside me. Anything will do is the world's loneliest philosophy. At least in heartache, my old friend said, I know that I'm alive, or so the theory goes. Three little bells outside the shop chime inside me, but it's not a theory, it's a body. My body, lowered to bed, saying, Good night, love. But it's just a pretend. No one's here, and morning will come. Oh, it opens the shop. One little bell, two, two little bells, three. My hope is two open bells. Anyone could crawl right in. But the rats lived on a terror wheel of hunger and hunt. So it's world without end that lies alike for me. The mammalian fish erupting through to breathe. The ugly grub whose undergoing won't relent. The mind spinning on just one thought, then spent. Ah, child in me, remember the birds? They neither sow nor store. Remember, yes, I remember the verse. That's love, to remember I'm remembered. But I wish someone wanted to have me. There's a difference, and difference bears the wish. I wish upon a collapsed comb, give a more troubling sight than a downed horse. Two, then, two fallen slow on that comb, I was asking for it, setting it upright, pretending, of course. It's not true to say they're resting, supine. Something was coming for to get them, and it wasn't a sleep, and it wasn't a dream. It must have been a blunt, a sudden thing. My hair is almost done showing how light-ready the comb had loosened it. Is it over? I asked the quiet kitchen stone. If it's gone, can I go then to go from the tables unbrightening? May I be excused? May I go to my room? It's a species of easy to go to my room. No kingdom holds on for dear life when it sees me walk through the door. I was told life held a meanness in me, an edge. Radiance come. So quickly gone, what can I say? I asked excuse, was told, you're excused. 
What left do I have that doesn't serrate my voice? The bright and soft is gone. Blue chimes, our hill, June sun. The kingdom's so cold, and it deserves to be. What left have I to do but cool? Do you think, I don't know, that when I say, Lord, I might be singing into the silo where nothing is stored, where it is written low lights were confused by skyward light and flew its bodies as birds against walls? Well, everyone thrashes against a wall in this life. I don't know what I mean, but I mean it. I don't know what to want, but I want it. And when I say God, it's because no one can know it. Not ever, not at all. It's a wall, and it drops to the floor as I fall. From this floor, I think of songs to play on the shiny lotto piano I won. I string them out, finish them off, and there I'm done. From this floor, I think of songs to play on the shiny lotto piano I won. I make a tune in minor C, but ever so sweet. So there, I'm done. I play songs. I bought a piano. I mean, I won it. I mean, I bought it with what I won. From this floor, I'll try to try to play with everything good, with everything gone. The floor of it all isn't gone, so I'll break my heart against it. Already out in my hand, badly beating, more wall than I'd imagined, my heart. Once struck, I hope to hear a jungle sound or two, a white monkey's shriek, a fat, fat rain, a lion's mane swifting the leaf, an earthy quake. Am I not my heart's own master? Remember when you shyly asked a man to give himself to you and when he said nothing you knew? Still the heart didn't break full through. You should know better than to tell it what to do. I knew better than the light, light after light. I knew I can't recall to see candles out and could put the house down and burning. What if someone asked me then, do you want to receive its ashes? I'd say, yes, that's the right thing. But deep down I'd say, no, no ashes. To imagine the size of the box able to hold my home, then take it into my hands, is something I promised my hands I'd never have them do. They argued their case atrociously well when they gave as evidence we can't. Yet, lighting candles, it's how I went on. I'm going to stop there to take um, a few questions if there are any, and then I'll read a bit more. So I'll let you think for a second. Anybody heard that many sonnets in their lifetime? I don't know. <laughs> in a row, ever? <laughs> and 
like, yeah. Oh, hi, Robin. So why did I choose the sonnet form? Um, you know, it, it kind of began just like as a try, you know, just, like, oh, I'm gonna, I, you know, I started writing a couple of lines and then I wondered if the sonnet could kind of take the content or, you know, the language could work inside of the form. Um, but really they, they start to go together kind of symbiotically or not at all. Um, so I wrote the first one, I, and I think then the stranger part was that I chose to try a crown. Um, and honestly, that was an almost comic moment in drafting, where I thought, well, this would be funny to try this really old, strange form. Um, and the reason I remember the comedy was because it was a very difficult pocket in my life when my marriage was ending, and so I remember like thinking it was almost hilarious to try this crown form, and um, but I just set down the next line, and um, I think what it gave me then was kind of that wonderful thing poets rarely have, which is a starting point every day, because we start and end so much, and it's wonderful and it's also horrible you know we're not we're envious sometimes of novelists who just go right back to the same you know set of problems but they have the same set of problems so um, so it just kept on unfolding that way um, but I didn't want to be wedded to the exactitude of the rules of the crown which really say that the line has to be repeated exactly because I found that if I did that some of the dynamism was lost and um, and I just didn't want to. So these poems, these sonnets, they're English sonnets but they break a lot of rules and I was more interested, for example, in the sensation of rhyme um, instead of a strict scheme of rhyme. So it's not necessarily obedient to a scheme but um, the music, the sense of that was important to me. Um, yes, uh-huh. My daily routine beyond making coffee, I don't, I don't be, I do make my bed every morning. And actually that, you know, some of these weird little lines, that came back to me from um, an 18, my 18-year-old 18 self and in a dorm and this student down the hall from me, she said, I don't know, but all I know is my mom told me to make your bed every morning. And she said, you, if you, and she said, if you don't know what to start, where to start, start with your bed. And um, it's, you know, it was funny and I thought, oh, that's not a bad idea. Although usually after I make my bed, I still don't know where to start. But in terms of a writing life, um, I don't really, I'm not very routined because um, it just doesn't work that way for me. Uh, like if I can, if I can create poems and make poems, I can do it anytime, wherever I am. But if I can't, it doesn't matter if the conditions are right. Or if it's at this time, you know, I'm alone at my desk in a room, doesn't matter. So, um, uh, yeah, I mean, this book I did, and I did write in very early hours of the morning, dominantly. 
um, because those are what I had. I had a very small child at the time. She's now seven, but she was then three. So I would write kind of before she was awake. Um, and um, so that had a bit of a pattern to it, but that was a strange little pocket of time too. So, but in terms of writerly advice, I would say it's, you know, my routines or what I recommend for poets is much more that you have a reading routine, you know, a reading dedication that you can kind of always keep to that. Um, but for me, at least, if I, when the times I've tried to write on a daily basis, what I find is that the entire work suffers for it because it becomes watered down. And so um, I am a more walking around with things that I'm trying to resist actually writing, like holding it as long as possible. Um, and then I, when I know I kind of have something, then I might start to write. Um, I mean, editing, there are different stages that require different types of routines or disciplines. Like editing, uh, you know, is very taxing and very hard. Um, and sometimes you just really truly are sitting down to it like a job. Um, so um, I have as many avoidant behaviors as the next person, though. Yeah. No, no, it's okay. Right. Um, so this book, this book is very, um, has a kind of very private voice and you could extract it really from any pocket of history and you wouldn't know it was written in the 2000s. I don't have any contemporary references, in other words. It, this book is specifically really not engaging um, uh, the nation and state and country. My last book that I wrote, um, Blood Lyrics, is almost entirely concerned with our wars um, in Iraq and Afghanistan and our um, and our regimes of torture and imprisonment at Guantanamo. Um, so what I find actually though with interviews I'm doing for this book, for example, because this book has a lot of religious language that um, is problematic and then I get at the problematic nature of it, what I'm finding in those interviews is that the editor is interested in talking about the theological aspects which then inevitably um, uh, have spun off into discussions about Christian nationalism in our country today. So, you know, there are ways in which you can be a writer of particular types of poems or in this one, in this book, for instance, um, a kind of solitary voice in her room speaking and 
um, kind of outside of the world almost. Um, but then there are other opportunities for more um, for civic engagement, and so you take those whenever you can, of course. Um, but I find like when I wrote blood lyrics, that those were the things that were compelling me to write, um, and. So if that's happening, I think a writer should do so. At least, I mean, I'm talking specifically about the poem, what the poem is like as a kind of creature. But um, I also, I, I think poems resist being kind of told what to be about or what to deal with, you know. So um, you'll, you'll be able to tell if you read a poem, even if it's politically what you agree with, where you read it and you think, well, I agree with it, but it's not a poem that's going to last, in poetry at least, um, or in, as literature or whatever that might be. But um, so if it comes, if these things come in organically because we're bothered and compelled by them and undone or disgusted by them, um, then the poem can definitely hold it and be a place for it. Um, but Everybody knows what a soapboxy type of poem come, sounds like from any side of the, you know, political spectrum. So, um, I'm wondering though if I'm answering your question, maybe a little. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I... <laughs> It seems like poets take up a lot of different types of tasks and know that poems can do the same. You know, they can be about love or loss of love, but they can also be about um, dictators, you know? So um, we don't also need maybe brand new poems written right now about what's going on. We can easily just go borrow from the poets who wrote under Stalin and have pretty much all we need to say. Um, and their lives were at stake for writing those poems, which tends to up the, uh, not uh, not just the stakes, but the quality. For instance, and what I mean by that is, um, imagine what you, what poem you would put your life on the line for. So, um, I don't think, Akhmadova or Mandelsam would have done that if they hadn't believed in their poems or had reception for their poems from people they were just reciting to without, you know, um, a lot of um, kind of uh, dark joy, really, at what they were saying. So um, those poets can be tremendously helpful, poets who have written under, you know, climates of kinds of dictatorships or dictatorships, you know, full stop. Other things? Yes, uh huh.
from my reading sonnet. Yeah, am I, so do I go towards what I'm addressing or stay away from it? Um, well, I studied theology for a long time, and so I kind of have enough of that in my bank <laughs> to, that I didn't go back to it. Um, but I had certain, vo you know, I had things going through my head that I wanted to express in that regard. Sonnets, I did go back especially to um, George Meredith's long sonnets, um, Modern Love, um, which is the dissolution of a marriage, amazing sonnets. I read, I was looking at um, Berryman's sonnets, um, but then I realized when I was starting to read more, like revisit Berryman, you can also kind of catch the sound a little too much, you know, like I can catch Berryman, and there is a little Berryman sound sometimes in these poems, but you could really become, Bar you know, Berryman real fast, and um, so you sometimes have to pull back on certain styles of lyricisms, or cadences, or vocabularies, or tones, you know, where you feel like, oh, I'm really being influenced now, so I got to put that away, because that voice could just railroad your, you know, what you, your more authentic kind of articulation. Um, so, um, and, you know, when I really am writing a lot, like the first probably 25 sonnets I wrote in about two months, which is a lot for me, a lot. Like, probably that's happened once else in my life. But, so I'm not, then I wasn't really reading very much. But when I have, when I have slow spots in my own writing, then I read, and that starts to feel like it's filling up, you know, kind of filling up the coffers again. Um, and it can be a very good practice to read yourself back into writing. Like, you'll read and you'll read, and something will occur to you to write, to say. Um... And then you just then you stop reading right away. Apologize to that author, and then write down your one line or whatever you might have, um, and you can kind of keep doing that over and over. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So how long? Like one poem? Yeah. Uh, um, it's really variable, actually. I mean, I've had a cup. I've had, well, I'll say, I'll put it this way. I've had one poem I wrote almost virtually in one night with very little revisions from my last book. But that's the, almost the only time that's ever happened. Um, these sonnets uh, took me about three and a half years. Um... There's a couple of poems in this book later that aren't sonnets that maybe took me a couple of weeks, you know, um, or different iterations of them, you know, or, or I wouldn't get it quite right, and then, but then maybe nine months would pass. So sometimes I have to wait until I can hear the problem in the poem. So there is a lot of waiting, and it's not that you're writing. Because actually, like, if I were really just rewriting and hammering at it and working at working it, I think poems do tend to become almost like clay. If you're if you've done ceramics ever, like, if you throw a piece of clay and it falls, your bowl falls apart, right? You can't really. You could maybe throw that clay one more time, but if you throw it again and again 
it just starts to fall apart in your hands. And that happens to me with poems a lot. Like if I just try at it again and again and again, it'll start to fall apart. And I can't really explain that phenomenon, but it, there's something about also about the materials of those words that when they get worked over too hard, they almost start to just get kind of pissed off at you. And it, or just like they resist you, you're resisting them. And then sometimes they either need to be left alone, like, you know, I think poets, other poets would also say how I feel, which is like, you can get a poem to a certain place and you very well know, like, this phrase is not perfect. I can't get it. But I can't, there's no other, but I don't know the right answer. Like, so I either leave it and allow for imperfection or I throw away the whole poem. So, um, but they aren't, you know, really perfect objects that we're striving after making. Um, so I'd say everywhere from two weeks, one night to two weeks, to two years, yeah. And the sonnets, you know, I had pockets where I'd really got stuck for a long time. Like, like I'd finish, I don't know, number 32 or something, and just not be able to get to the next one. And then I would have to wait. So you are waiting. Poetry, you are waiting a long, lot, a lot, I think. Any last question? I'm going to read a couple poems so we don't end on that dark thought of just, oh, we'll just wait and wait and wait and wait and wait. Um, but that will end on a poem. Okay. I didn't take you to the end of the sonnets, you know, just so you have some suspense if you read the book <laughs> in full. Um, but I'll end on two poems. Um, yeah, and the first is called Psalm 40. I am content because before me looms the hope of love. I do not have it. I do not yet have it. It is a bird strong enough to lead me by the rope it bites. Unless I pull, it is strong enough for me. I do worry the end of my days might come and I will not yet have it. But even then, I will be brave upon my deathbed. And why shouldn't I be? I held things here and I felt them. And to all I felt, I will whisper Hosanna for goodbye. It is sweet to think of myself alone at that very moment able to say such a thing to all that was my life, to all that was not. And I'll end on this poem and um, I'll stay around. If anyone has other questions, I'll be up here and, and can answer them. All I ever wanted. When I thought it was right, to name my desires, what I wanted from life. They seemed to turn like bleeding sheep, not to me, who could have been a caring if unskilled shepherd, but to the boxed-in hills beyond which the blue mountains sloped down with poppies orange as crayfish all the way to the Pacific seas, 
in which the hulls of whales steered them in search of a mate for whom they bellowed in a new, highly particular song we might call the most ardent articulation of love, the pin at the tip of evolution, modestly shining. In the middle of my life, it was right to say my desires, but they went away. I couldn't even make them out, not even as dots now in the distance. Yet I see the small lights of winter campfires in the hills. Teenagers in love often go there for their first nights. And each yellow-white glow tells me what I can know and admit to knowing that all I ever wanted was to sit by a fire with someone who wanted me in measure the same to my wanting, to want to make a fire with someone with you was all. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.